Welcome to the Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello and welcome to another episode of LRN's Principled Podcast. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm the editor of LRN's ENC Pulse newsletter. I hope you can find that and subscribe. We have a very special guest with us today, Daniel Trujillo, the Executive Vice President, Global Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer at Walmart. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for taking time. Daniel is a global executive with more than 30 years experience working in Europe, Latin America, Africa, the Middle East, and the United States. And all he's worked in more than 70 countries. That's actually amazing. I hope you can tell us a little bit about that when you're charting your career path. Um, Daniel's also an expert in the design, setup, and management of ethics, compliance, and legal departments, and has broad industry experience, including work in technology, food and agricultural production, construction, energy, oil and gas, retail, and e-commerce. So uh, let's start there. What sparked your interest in ethics and compliance? And Tell us a little bit about that career path that led you to 70 countries and now to the role you have at Walmart. Well, first of all, Ben, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be here. I'm originally from Argentina. You can probably notice from my accent. I grew up trying to be a diplomat. I mean, that was the first thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a diplomat because I I love the idea of learning multiple languages and, and learning about different cultures. And I started studying law for getting my degree later. And when I did that, I realized that actually I enjoy very much working in corporations. And I decided that I wanted to be a better lawyer. And uh, for that, I took an MBA. And uh, in time, I had the opportunity to be moving uh, from industry to industry until actually started working in the oil and gas. And it's something very common that happens in the oil and gas that they move you to work in different countries every, every other year or so. I did that for 15 years. And then back in 2012, I decided to join Walmart and that's where I have been. So it has been, it has been a very interesting journey because at, at the end of the day, I think I accomplished many of the things that I wanted to do at the beginning, which is to learn many languages, to work in so many countries and be exposed to so many different cultures. So it, it has been, it, it worked out well even if I decided that I was not going to be a diplomat early in time. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm sure that's helped as you uh, develop the program at Walmart, having that understanding of all these different places. And as part of your wide supply chain, I'm sure that comes in handy as you uh, do your job as well. Sure. It does. Tell us a little bit about Walmart's ENC program, how it's designed, why it's structured the way you have it structured, and whether that structure has changed in the last 10 years. And if it has changed, what's prompted some of those changes? When you take a look today to most of the Fortune 500 companies, you see that for the most part, they take care of uh, between five and seven different subject matters. The way we structure the program for Walmart, we are covering 14 different subject matters. I think that there are a few companies that they do that, GE being another one. Most of them is, is much less than that. The reason for doing it this way it's the, the fact that we want to be sure that we have a whole culture of integrity and that we are taking care of not only the program itself, but ensuring that we enhance the way that we do things in the company 
and that we invest a fair amount of time and resources in improving our culture overall. You know, the businesses in general are changing, the customers uh, are changing, the environment is changing. We want to be sure that we have a omnicomprehensive approach to compliance rather than only focusing on one or two or three or five subject matters. So this design, as we have it today, was done back in 2012, and we still have, we still cover 14 subject matters, which basically goes from anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, the financial services, antitrust, privacy, labor and employment, health and safety, food safety, responsible sourcing, trade. Basically, we cover the whole spectrum of compliance with the exception of tax compliance, I would say. Everything that has a compliance in it, with the exception of tax compliance, is included in our program. We didn't change the what. I mean, I call those 14 subject matters the what. That's what, what we do, what we cover. The way we structure the program as well has been working with six building blocks. The six building blocks is what we call the how. And if you think in a flywheel that goes clockwise, I mean, the first component or the first building block, it's leadership. Because we want to ensure that we have the right resources, that the resources are independent, that we have the right tone from the top, that we have to run the right program overall, but also that we have the right accountability. Then the second component in that flywheel is risk assessment or risk management. We want to be sure that we have a good understanding of what are the risks that the company has before we start implementing a program. We have our risk assessment that we drive every year that is consistent in every market. Then the third component, once you understand your risk, is to move to standards and controls. And we try to ensure that we have the standards and controls that are simple enough for our people to be executing. We keep refining them as we go. Then we move to awareness. We raise awareness on, on those topics. Then we move to training. We train and we try to ensure that the training is relevant for our population. And then finally, the last component of that wheel is monitoring and response, which basically operates as a management system where you identify what is not working in those previous elements and you go back to that and you remediate and you keep going around and around that wheel multiple times. So we have done it for now for eight years this way. I would say the what and the how have not changed. What is in each of the components, I mean, keeps evolving as the program needs to evolve because of the, the differences that we see in, in how we do business, but as well on what is expected from the authorities. The last piece that is the key component of the program is what do we, do, what do we want the program to do? And we always say that there are five pillars for our program. The number one is uh, we want our program to be effective. We, want, we have to be sure that we don't have a paper program. Number two, we want to be sure that it's consistent, that we are doing the basic framework of the program has to be the same wherever we operate. And we operate today in 27 countries. Uh, we have 12,000 locations. And then the third one is it has to be risk-based. Our program has to be risk-based. The fourth one is that it has to be efficient. We want to be sure that we get it right the first time. And finally, whatever we are implementing has to be sustainable because we want to be sure that we are not implementing a program that is not sustainable in the future. So those are the key components of the program. And those things have not changed in the last eight years. As I said, what it has changed a lot, it's our way of working, how more digital we became, how much we work in terms of simplifying things. 
how much more attention we pay in terms of understanding our audience and, and how to get to that relevant effectiveness, which certainly understanding the different cultures and understanding how it works in different places, it is a big help because what you may think that works in one place may not work in another one. And having that understanding is what gives you the effectiveness that you need in a program. So over the last six months, there have been a lot of changes in how we're living, working and shopping. How is the Walmart ENC program adjusting then? especially as it relates to your training, your communications, and uh, community outreach? One of the first things that we decided with my team when we started is that we wanted to be sure that we were not only reacting to what has been happening, but we wanted to take note of what were the things that we could be doing differently once this is over, if you want. And we have been taking very detailed notes of the things that we can improve in terms of how can we become faster, how we become leaner, how we can, let me give you an example. So how much can we use technology to replace things that we were doing before more in a manual way, if you want? How can make our processes to be, I would say, more embedded into what the business is doing on a daily basis? One of the examples that I can mention uh, that it's very clear to understand is we have, as part of our program, our team has approximately 2,000 people, which you would think that it's, it's large, but you also have to consider that Walmart's overall population is 2.2 million associates that we have. So for 2.2 million, 2,000, it's covering 14 subject matters. So one of the things that we do in that in our team is we have a group that they would go to the stores in an unannounced way and they would monitor the stores that we walk around the store and find what are the things that we can do differently. If there are signs that are missing, we would put the sign at that time. If there is training that is required, we would do it at that time. And we will work together with our store managers to provide to them a perspective of what are the things that need to be improved in a short term, in a longer term, etc. And we will help them with that. So one of the things that we realized is that with this pandemic, and in some cases, the, the lack of possibility to be traveling as freely as before, we have been using technology. So we have been using some of these visits are being done remotely. So we are walking the store with our store managers over a phone or over an iPad, and we go to different places. We check different things. We also have cameras in some of the stores that in some cases we can use if we want to check if there's a blockage of an exit door, we can see it through one of those cameras. We don't need to be going physically and checking that. Just that to give you an example. So we are using a lot of technology. As I always say to my team, we have to fall in love with the problem. And the more we understand the problem, the better we are going to get the solution. So we are spending a lot of time trying to understand what are the things that actually are not working as we want them or they could be working better. And we are designing the solutions around that. As this pandemic continues, then, what can ENC do to maintain a sense of teamwork within the company and, and a focus on Walmart's culture and values? One of the things that we keep talking with our leaders is that one point to pay a lot of attention to is the cultural erosion that can happen if everybody continues working like this for a long period of time. I mean, we have a very strong culture. We have four key values that they are very strong in the company. We want to be sure that we keep working on that and we keep working that every decision that we take keeps being, if you want, supported by those values and our purpose as well. So one of the things that we are doing is, to the extent that is possible, uh, we try to have, whether it's informal time with our people 
remotely, or in the cases where the location and the regulations allow just to be having some contact outdoors, I mean, with our associates, particularly when we have to be recognizing people for the hard work that they, they are putting into this. I think that we have stretched ourselves and everybody else has understanding that there is, there is a lot that it could be done that we never thought that it could be done this way, if you want, and, and many things are being done and many things are being accomplished. We want to be sure that we recognize them. So spending time in those recognitions, spending time having informal touch bases that would replace those times in which you would be before a meeting and after a meeting, having an informal conversation with somebody. Those are the things that we are doing a lot. I give you an example. You know, I mean, our community here uh, in Bentonville, we are very big into bikes and, and cycling in general. So one of the things that sometimes we do is to say, well, I will pay coffee if you folks in my team want to ride a bike with me, keeping social distance, we go we go to a coffee shop, we have a coffee, we talk about how are they dealing with things and uh, we get to know each other a little bit better at a different level and then everybody goes back to their work. So we try to do things like that that actually have been very effective to keep people uh, connected. So how important then are the company's values as a framework for you while you work out protocols for the colleagues who are now working at home to come back to the office whenever that might be? What we do is, and our leaders have been saying this pretty much every day, whatever decision we are taking, it has to be grounded in our four core values and our purpose. And I think it is interesting to see what other companies are doing as well. And you see the difference even when you compare how one country versus the other one, they have been dealing with this crisis. It's very interesting to see the differences. It's also interesting to see the differences between companies. We want to be sure that every decision that we take, it's putting our, uh, our associates first, I mean, and their integrity first. So we are, we are thinking always first in our associates, we are thinking first in our customer and what is right for the communities. I think every single decision that we take, it's grounded on that. I mean, and for us, being part of ethics and compliance, I mean, we are the first ones that have to be leading by example on that, but we are very lucky to be working in a, in a company that the leadership team, it's, it's 100% supportive and they are actually the ones leading the way. Speaking of leading by example, in addition to COVID, there's a renewed emphasis now on racial justice and bringing more fairness, honesty, and transparency into the world. What role can ENC teams play in helping bring that about? I have to say I have been very lucky to work, as I said, in many places and be exposed to how diversity, real diversity works and what are the benefits of having a highly diverse team versus a not diverse team. I truly believe in diversity. The company does as, does as well. I think that we are, we are going in the right path. The same way that I would say about compliance, I don't think, Ben, that there is any finish line here. I think that it doesn't matter how good your numbers look like. You have to continue working on this and you have to continue working on, on the pipeline. You have to continue working on ensuring that people outside of your company understand how much you care about it, what are the opportunities that you are giving to people to grow, how are we developing people. And one of the things that this is also telling us as well is it's not enough with being great at recruiting diverse talent, developing them and promoting them. We also have to ensure that they are successful. 
We also have to ensure that once we recruit it, once we develop, once they got that promotion and that opportunity, how are we holding hands with them as well? I mean, just to be sure that they are going to be successful and they're going to stay for the long run. I think this is deeply inserted in our values and the way we do things. For me, I mean, it's, it's very simple. It just starts with my first line and that's and what, I mean, the diversity that I have in my team. So I pay a lot of attention to that because I truly believe that when a team is diverse in as many ways as possible, even you have really a highly effective and productive team and group of people working together. So I believe in it. We all believe in it. But we also believe that there's no finish line. So how do you then measure progress in this area? Is it just based on people hired, how many are in management or appointed to a board? And if not, what else are you considering as you decide you know, where you are on the, the, the path of, that you're taking to get to this ultimate? Certainly we, we measure it because I think that measuring it is what it gives you the indication that you are making progress or not as well. Now, that's not the only data point for us. I mean, we, we not only measure it, but we want to see how the culture keeps evolving. And I always say, when you get to the point in which you have to talk less about diversity because you already have it, if you want, I mean, it's already embedded in the way you do business, I think that you feel that it's, it's getting better. So we measure not only the tangibles, I mean, we measure as well the non so tangible things like uh, what is the overall feeling and temperature that I wear, how are we perceived as well as externally, and, and we keep listening. I think, Ben, I mean, it's key for us to keep listening to our associates, to the different communities, and see what is happening around the world just to see how can we get better. We have, we have a culture, I would say, in my team of continuous improvement. Everybody knows that, yes, you did a great job this year, we can stop for a couple of minutes, we celebrate, but now let's talk about what we can do better for next year. I really appreciate you taking some time with us today. I thank you for your insights and hope uh, the audience enjoyed them as much as I did and uh, stay safe as we go through the rest of this crazy time that we're in. Thank you, Ben, a real pleasure and thank you for having me, I appreciate it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.